Did you need a few more minutes? Maybe just one or two to make sure that everyone's on the line. We'll start. We'll... You're listening to Spotify Earnings Call Replays. Welcome to Spotify's first quarter 2023 earnings conference call. Joining us today will be Daniel Eck, our CEO, and Paul Vogel, our CFO. We'll start with opening comments from Daniel and Paul, and afterwards we'll be happy to answer your questions. Questions can be submitted by going to slido.com, slido.com, and using the code hashtag SpotifyEarningsQ123. Analysts can ask questions directly into Slido, and all participants can then vote on the questions they find the most relevant. We ask that you try to limit yourself to one to two questions, and to the extent you've got follow-ups, we'll be happy to address them, time permitting. If for some reason you don't have access to Slido, you can email Investor Relations at ir at spotify.com, and we'll add in your question. Before we begin, let me quickly cover the safe harbor. During this call, we'll be making certain forward-looking statements, including projections or estimates about the future performance of the company. These statements are based on current expectations and assumptions that are subject to risks and uncertainties. Actual results could materially differ because of factors discussed on today's call, in our letter to shareholders, and in filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. During this call, we'll also refer to certain non-IFRS financial measures. Reconciliations between our IFRS and non-IFRS financial measures can be found in our letter to shareholders, in the financial section of our investor relations website, and also furnished today on Form 6K. And with that, I'll turn it over to Daniel. All right. Hey, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, As we open this call, I really can't help but feel a tremendous amount of excitement about the progress our team made this quarter. In fact, this quarter represents our strongest Q1 since going public. And over the last few months, we've celebrated a few significant milestones, including surpassing over half a billion users and reaching more than 200 million subscribers. Further, our user growth exceeded our expectations by 15 million and our subscriber numbers by 3 million. And at our scale, it is pretty remarkable to see this level of reacceleration in our user growth. But it is a trend that's been consistent now for over the last five quarters. In fact, the last two quarters saw the largest MAU growth in our history. The outperformance was broad-based, meaning growth was pretty evenly spread across every region without a single market dominating. And on top of this, we were able to accomplish this level of growth with lower marketing spend. We look at this as a promising sign, but it's too early to draw any conclusions yet. And as you heard me say repeatedly over the years, a healthy top-line user growth is the leading indicator of our ability to achieve future success on all other financial metrics. And when we successfully attract new users, it's only a matter of time before the conversion rate to subscriber increases, which then, of course, drives our revenue upwards over the long term. And this is a formula that's been worked for us exceptionally well and one I fully expect to play out again. And speaking of long term, I want to spend a moment talking about our approach to investment timelines and the outcomes they can deliver when we stay on the course. So let me give you a recent example. For those who turn in to our March Stream On event, we unveiled n- numerous creator tools and debuted an entirely new and updated Spotify experience, including a first of its kind AI DJ. 
and these changes marked the biggest updates to our user experience since we introduced mobile more than 10 years ago. But of course, this didn't happen overnight. These are things that we've been building on over the last 12 to even 18 months, and in some cases even longer. And as we shift to rolling out these features, as well as several others across our 184 markets, we're seeing an acceleration in MAU, retention, and subs. And sometimes our investments manifest themselves immediately, but more often than not, their impact is gradual and takes shape over several quarters, or sometimes even years. And while uh, we really can't anticipate when the benefits will materialize, we do know that our growth is a consequence of our relentless pursuit of learning, iterating, and improving. We make strategic investments and we wait for the results to compound, pro proving out the benefits for users, creators, and of course, our other stakeholders. And by delivering an exceptional experience that is centered on creating value for these stakeholders, over time, we're seeing a correlation with a stronger financial performance. I've often talked about the fact that our success is not attributable to just one thing, but literally hundreds, if not sometimes even thousands of improvements that we're investing in and working on in parallel. And that's not to say that every one of them ends up producing the outcomes we strive for, but over time, the things that do work, they do add up. And together, they have a compounding effect. So think of it really as waves of innovation, investment, and improvement. There's an ebb and there's a flow over time, but over time, it really becomes more predictable and produces steadier results. And the key then, it seems, is to maintain a long-term focus to help us navigate current short-term uncertainties. But don't let all my talk about the importance of long-term investing allow you to believe that we are rethinking our commitment to driving efficiency. So as many know, last quarter and building on what we shared at last year's Investor Day, I talked about shifting towards becoming a more efficient company. There's really no question that we've become leaner in the last six months, but this progress is still early in its reflection on our financials. The actions we've taken, coupled with other opportunities to reduce spending in areas like marketing and content production and real estate, should lead to a steady progression of key metrics throughout the year, all of which makes me even more bullish about the remainder of 2023 and beyond. And with that, I'll turn it over to Paul for more detail behind the numbers, and then Brian will open it up for the Q&A. Great. Thanks, Daniel. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Let's start with Q1. User growth was exceptionally strong in the quarter. Total monthly active users grew to 515 million in Q1. This was 15 million ahead of guidance, up 26 million quarter over quarter, the largest Q1 net additions in our history, and the second largest all time only surpassed by Q4 of last year. The strength was broad-based and we hit record Q1 net additions across nearly all age demographics in both developed and developing regions. Moving to premium, we finished the quarter with 210 million subscribers, 3 million ahead of guidance, thanks once again to broad-based strength across all regions. Engagement trends were strong in Q1, with healthy uplift to year-over-year -year growth in content hours per MAU across all platforms. We also saw positive trends in our DAU to MAU ratio, as well as in churn. Our revenue grew 14% year-on-year, topping 3 billion in the quarter. Results in the quarter were just slightly behind forecasts, as premium revenue slightly outperformed, offset by a very modest underperformance in advertising. This marks the first Q1 in Spotify's history where we surpassed 300 million in ad revenue. 
And turning to gross margin, gross margin of 25.2% was above guidance by 30 basis points. Moving to operating expenses, growth was lower than forecast, helped by less marketing spend than plan. When combined with our better gross profit, operating loss was ahead of guidance by 38 million. The better, better than plan results also include 44 million of severance related charges. Free cash flow was a positive 57 million in Q1. Now looking ahead, it's clear we have a lot of momentum coming out of Q1. With respect to second quarter guidance, we continue to see strong momentum in MAU and subscribers. We're forecasting 530 million MAU, an increase of 50 million from Q1, and 217 million subscribers, an increase of 7 million over Q1. We're forecasting 3.2 billion in total revenue, a gross margin of roughly 25.5%, and an operating loss of approximately 129 million. On revenue, the currency translation benefits we've been experiencing for the last six quarters are expected to reverse in Q2, led by the weakening US dollar relative to the euro. As a result, we are forecasting a 300 basis point headwind to growth. Excluding this effect, our constant currency revenue will be closer to 3.3 billion, reflecting our expectation for accelerating currency neutral growth to 14% versus 13% growth we delivered in Q1. From a profitability standpoint, we continue to expect a steady ramp in gross margins throughout 2023, as well as sequential improvements in our operating loss. And then one final note, as Daniel mentioned in his remarks, we will continue to be diligent regarding operating efficiency improvements and we'll be looking at areas such as real estate optimization. During Q Q2, we hope to finalize some of these decisions and this could lead to a material non-cash charge during the quarter. We have not included any potential charges in our Q2 guidance, but should they occur, we will break them out during our Q2 earnings report. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Brian. All right. Thanks, Paul. Again, if you've got any questions, please go to slido.com, hashtag Spotify earnings Q123. We'll be reading the questions in the order they appear in the queue with respect to how people vote up their preference for questions. And our first question today is going to come from Matt Thornton on advertising. Ad revenue actually re-accelerated in first quarter, which would seem better than feared. Can you talk to what you're seeing in the ad market, i.e. how it performed relative to your expectations and linearity through and exiting the quarter? Yeah, as I said in my opening comments, um, we're slightly behind on the ad side, about 15, about 20 million or so. Um, the quarter was choppy again. Um, incrementally throughout the quarter, it got a little bit better. Um, we feel like we have momentum heading into Q2, but you know, we, I think we had similar sort of trends heading into Q1 as well. So it's a little bit too early to say. You know, overall, I think we feel really good about our relative position in the ad market and how we performed uh, relative to how the overall market performed in Q1. Again, it was a bit up and down. Um, we missed by a small amount, but nothing really um, that concerns us in any way. All right, our next question is gonna come from Mike Morris on AI. Use of AI technology to create new music has resulted in concern from artists and rights holders as seen with the recent fake Drake track. What is Spotify's responsibility in allowing or preventing the distribution of created music that draws from another artist's work? Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, let's acknowledge that this is a incredibly fast moving and developing space. Uh, I don't think uh, in my history with technology I've ever seen anything moving as fast as the development of AI currently uh, is uh, at the moment. And uh, obviously, um, you pointed out in your question that there's two parts of this. One is um, you know, our role as a platform for allowing innovation of creative works and then 
uh, how we do to protect the creators and the artist ecosystem that we care so deeply about. And so the the big part of this is we we uh, have that dual focus and we take that role of of uh, uh, you know a guardian uh, the artist creativity and the support that we are doing for artists and creators uh, very very seriously. So we're in constant dialogue with the industry about these things and. It's important to state that there's everything from uh, what, what you mentioned, sort of fake uh, tracks uh, from artists, which falls in one bucket, to everything of just augmenting using AI to allow for expression, which probably falls in the more lenient and, and easier bucket. So these are very, very complex issues that don't have a single uh, straight answer on how you take the position, depending on what would happen. But we're in constant discussion with our partners creators and artists uh, and want to strike a balance between allowing innovation and of course protecting artists. Okay, next question from Justin Patterson on operating efficiency. On the fourth quarter earnings call, you framed efficiency as a top priority for Spotify. As you've transitioned to a new org structure, how are you measuring your initial progress on speed and efficiency? And when can we expect these efforts to roll in more meaningfully to gross margin and operating expense? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll start and maybe Paul can can uh, add, add to it. Um, so we're early on in our new um, org structure and the way we're working, but I'm feeling really good about it so far. And the leading indicators that I look to uh, is really just speed of decision making. And, and uh, we've really um, kind of driven more collaboration and, and more speed of decisions um, now than we've had probably at any other time in the Spotify history. So I feel good about that. But that uh, obviously will still take some time before that then leads into actual products um, that then uh, leads to actual business results. Um, so I think as it relates to that, uh, we still have some ways to go before before investors will see the actual output. But when I talked about efficiency, it's important to note that that's just one part of the equation. The other part of the equation, obviously, on efficiency is, is uh, just uh, being diligent on what we invest in and what we spend on. And I don't know, Paul, if you want to talk a little bit more about what we're seeing there. Yeah, I would... Uh Add a couple of things. One is I think we've talked about um, on the gross margin side, seeing sequential improvement throughout um, 2023 and, and nothing's changed there. So um, you saw the, the Q1 number come in, you saw the Q2 guidance is sequentially better than, than Q1 and we expect that to persist throughout uh, 2023. Um, and same thing on the operating loss, we expect to see um, incremental leverage, leverage throughout the year um, and with the uh, sequential improvement in, in operating loss as well. So um, we're, st we're starting to see it uh, come through on those lines. All right, next question on uh, from Matt Thornton on our subscription business. ARPU was a little lower than expected. Can you talk to what's driving that, i.e. how did FX, plan mix, market mix, promotional activity vary versus your initial expectations and guidance? And how should we think about ARPU looking forward? Yeah, um, it's kind of a combination of all the things you mentioned. Um, you know, clearly we beat on the subscriber side by three million. Um, you know, some, when, when we have that upside, some of it came from uh, additional growth in our family and duo plans, as well as people coming on promotional. And so all of those have an impact on ARPU. Um, I would say the product mix, meaning um, more users coming in on, on family uh, and duo, is probably the biggest driver. 
again, it's pretty minor uh, in terms of uh, of where it came in on ARPU, and it was pretty much in line with our expectations, maybe a, a hair below from an ARPU standpoint, but not material. Okay, another question from Justin Patterson. This is on our recent product updates. Daniel, could you share any initial learnings on listener and creator reactions to the new user interface? With the new user interface released, how should we think about the pace of product improvements and monetization opportunities going forward? Yeah, perhaps just to start by setting context, uh, um, you know, it, it was a very successful event. We've had um, massive amounts of feedback, both from users and creators, where uh, in particular, this was a creator-focused event. So creators have been overwhelmingly positive about all the new tools that they now have to express themselves and to connect with their audience. Um, but it, it's also, to temper expectation, it's probably one of the largest uh, single changes in the history of Spotify. So we take that very seriously. So for instance, the new home feed uh, that we announced is still being rolled out. So most consumers in the world don't yet have access to that. Uh, we're rolling it out slowly t just to make sure we have performance uh, dialed up and that we can react to the feedbacks. And we've already made uh, lots of iterations uh, uh, you know, with the, the user feedback we've gotten. So um, it will be very successful when it's fully rolled out. And I feel really good about that. But but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm using this as a moment to educate um, all investors and analysts as well, that there are some, some product improvements that we do that you just can't turn on the button on. Um, and there's some um, that you can. And this happened to be one of those things that takes multi quarters for us to roll out because it's not just a feature or something else. It's a whole new infrastructure behind it with a whole, whole new instrumentation for our AI tools um, as well. So it's, it's an important piece of infrastructure that we're basically still rolling out, but I feel really good about it uh, and the response. And I think once that's fully rolled out, uh, we can iterate massively on top of that uh, as well. But the big focus for the next few months from the teams is just really kind of rolling this out, uh, making sure it's very performant and that we can start then allowing our machine learning and AI teams to start iterating on top of that. And then we'll see compounding improvements for many years, just like I outlined in my initial remarks. Okay, next question from Mario Liu. With regards to the 6% workforce reduction announced earlier this year, is that the final or first round of reductions this year? And should we expect any additional severance charges other than the 41 million in your operating expense in Q1? Um, yeah, let me take with the, the second part first, just to get it out of the way. So the, the 41 million is, is the charge on the um, operating expense line. Um, it was actually 44 million overall. There was a small component of uh, a severance that hit gross margin. So there's been two numbers that have been f floating out there, but it's 44 million in total. Uh, 41 million that hit the OPEX, and then that 3 million that hit the, the gross margin side. Um, uh, and in terms of you know workforce, nothing else to add in terms of workforce reductions. Um, I think we've talked about all that kind of Daniel, you know, take the efficiency side from here. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'd, I'd really add is that uh, we have really become a lot leaner of the last six months, um, but I think that progress is still early in its reflection on our financials. And then uh, what investors should probably expect going forward is uh, for us to keep looking for uh, ways uh, that can help us. And that includes obviously everything from our real estate footprint. Uh, we will keep reviewing 
you know, the content deals we've made, uh, are they performing, not performing, and obviously have a much higher hurdle rate, as I mentioned last quarter, as well on any new investments going forward. Okay, uh, question from Rich Greenfield. Uh, for Daniel, would love to hear your perspective on the recent Apple versus Epic ruling. Being able to message about paying for Spotify off-platform is clearly positive, but it appears that the court largely sided with Apple. And then would also love to hear more about your recent trip to Washington, D.C. Yeah, Rich. Um, I, I would characterize it probably as a disappointed but not surprised uh, with the ruling. Uh, as you rightly called out, um, it does still include the anti-steering provision, which I think is very important uh, and a good step um, in the right direction. Um, and I think it's also worthwhile uh, pointing out, I, I just briefly read through uh, the judge's remarks, so I may be getting this but I'll, uh, wrong, but I'll try to paraphrase it, uh, where the judge, I think, was uh, referring and reacting to the fact that there's a larger conversation going on um, in Washington about future regulation, and the judge just noted that uh, they were simply making uh, a decision, uh, a ruling based on the existing law and not future regulation. And this is kind of the point why I went to Washington. Uh, I do believe new uh, laws are needed for this and that the App Store bill or, or OAMA bill that is also called um, is a very much needed improvement. And uh, I had great meetings, uh, I really did from, from Bipartisan, both Republicans and Democrats, uh, I found them to be very, uh, in, very supportive of the issue, uh, very understanding of some of these things, and I, I think a lot of the people I spoke to uh, didn't realize it was this bad. Um, and for us, just to kind of level set for those that may not be involved in 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 the intricate details, the primary issue for me is that. When I started as a 14-year-old entrepreneur, the internet was this democratic place that anyone anywhere in the world could have an impact. And right now, we're in a place where billions of consumers are using the internet primarily through smartphones and primarily through apps. And there's literally two companies now that control um, all of that uh, on the internet. And they can unilaterally change the rules. Uh, they, in Apple's case, can prevent us from talking to our customers and prevent customers from even understanding that there are better deals uh, in the marketplace. So this is super important to me on a principle level. Uh, I want better climate for innovation to bring progress. I want uh, consumers, and, and if they've opted into communication from a company, I want that company to be able to communicate to that consumer without the interference uh, of these platforms. So, uh, and, and those message, message, message points really resonated uh, across both the House and the Senate and across the aisle of both Republicans and Democrats. So I feel encouraged, but it's still early days here in the US. Uh, and obviously we've had a lot more progress on this issue lately in Europe. Great. Next question from Mario Liu on gross margin. Gross margins beat guidance by 30 basis points, but saw a drag from other cost of revenue. Can you explain um, uh, what's in, what within other cost of revenue was the main drag, and if that's expected to continue going forward? Yeah, so there's a little bit of nuance in this, so um, let me kind of go through it. So when you look throughout 2022 and into 2023, we've seen a sort of steady increase uh, on the other cost of revenue line. A lot of that has come from you know, streaming delivery and, and other compute costs uh, that had slowly risen 
um, throughout the year and had been impacting us. And so when you look at it, um, Q1 versus Q1, that trend had still continued. So put a little bit of uh, uh, pressure on the on the gross margin as a negative. That being said, some of the outperformance we saw in Q1 actually related to that being less of a drag than we thought and starting to see some of the efficiency um, improvements and initiatives that we put in place starting to pay off. And so while the, the increase that we've seen for the last kind of you know, three, four quarters persisted, the incremental increase was less given some of the efficiencies. And so we feel really good about that. We've got more plans in place to continue to um, uh, improve that line item, which is sort of the, the non-royalty royalty bearing side of gross margin. Um, so we, we, I think we, we, we're in a good place moving forward with, with how that should trend. Okay, next question from Doug Anmuth on podcasting. With a decent amount of hit podcast content deals seemingly up for renewal in 2023 and 24, what gives you confidence you can retain exclusive talent while not overpaying and overinvesting? Yeah, um, I, I think you're right in calling out the overpaying and overinvesting. And, and um, what, what I can start out by saying is we're not going to do that. And um, we're going to be very diligent in how we invest in uh, future content deals. Uh, and the ones that aren't performing, obviously, we won't renew. And the ones that are performing, uh, we will uh, obviously look at those on a case-by-case -case basis on the relative value. And and I, I would say two things here. Uh, one, we have very sophisticated tools for measuring impact uh, on the platform where, um, you know, we talked about this at the Investor Day where we do understand the relative impact on lifetime value on our subscribers and so on and so forth. I think that helps us paying a fair price or understanding what a fair price would be. But then the second part uh, also, because we are now the largest podcasting platform, that means we have a great opportunity to amortize across a larger base. Uh, so relative to someone that's smaller, we should be in a better position should we want to renew uh, a deal because we obviously can amortize that against a larger base of users. Okay, question from Benjamin Black on subscription pricing. Since you haven't raised pricing, are you seeing any benefit from being the lower cost distributor? Um, one would think so, given the outperformance in the quarter. But um, again, it, it is important to note that um, it's been a fairly broad based the outperformance. And just by way of context, we did raise prices in four. 46 different occasions uh, and markets last year. So it's not like we haven't raised prices. And even in those markets, we were still outperforming. So, um, you know, I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Uh, I feel really good about our ability uh, to raise prices uh, over time, that we have that ability and we have lots of data now that backs that up. Um, we may have been marginally helped by being a lower cost uh, provider, but it isn't a primary part of our strategy and it's not something that we're thinking about. Instead, we're working with our, our label partners uh, to, to really work with them to figure out what's the best opportunity for us to do that. And that's obviously a more complex trade where, with many other variables. And I've talked about that before, but when the timing's right, we will race it and I think uh, that price increase will go down well because uh, we're delivering a lot of value for our customers. Okay, another question from Rich Greenfield on advertising. You've talked about advertising revenue scaling to be 20% of your overall revenue. 
While it's growing faster than subscription revenue, the mix hasn't moved a lot. How should we think about the timing of getting to 20%, let alone 30% of your revenues? Yeah, Rich, I, th I think we still feel really good about the ability for advertising to grow and be a larger part of, um, of Spotify's revenue mix. You know, right now there's one part of it we can control and one part we can't control. So the part we can control is to continue to build out the tools, the services, the measurement, the attribution, all of the things that we think we're doing to bring um, an even better advertising product to Spotify. And that continues on and we feel really good about the advancements we've made there. You know, obviously in the last quarter or two, we've been somewhat impacted by macro. Again, we feel like we're growing nicely and outperforming the market and our peer group overall. Um, but the macro has probably slowed us down. So I don't really think that um, a couple of quarters of macro uncertainty is going to change our long-term view of, of how we get to 20% or even beyond that. Um, and for us, it's really just heads down, making sure that the product and innovation is there so that when the macro does come back, we can benefit as, as much as we possibly can. Okay, a question from Doug Ameth on AI DJ. Could you give us your thoughts on how AI DJ plays out given your launch of the beta version at StreamOn and subsequent copyright pushback from some of the major labels? Yeah, uh, I, I do think uh, it's important to kind of separate AI DJ from the sort of AI conversation. So AI DJ in and on itself, I think we've had nothing but positive reactions from across the industry. I think the AI pushback from, um, you know, the copyright industry or, or labels and, and media companies. And it, it's, it's really around uh, uh, really important topics uh, and issues like name and likeness. Uh, what is an actual copyright? Who owns the right to something where where you upload something and claim it to be Drake and it's really not and so on. And those are legitimate concerns. Um, and obviously those are things that we're working with uh, our partners uh, on in trying to establish a position where we both allow uh, innovation, but at the same time protect all of the creators that we have on our pl platform. Okay, next question from Michael Morris on subscription pricing. Do you plan to raise price on any of your current plans during 2023? And what are the current considerations to changing pricing? Um, I, I can start and then maybe Paul can chime in. So I, I think it's important uh, perhaps to um, just add as a context here. As I mentioned in my prior response, we, we raised prices um, in 46 uh, places uh, last year. I would like and hope for us to do that in 2023 as well, but we're in discussion with our partners uh, around that. So that's a, a really a nego negotiation thing. But I, I think maybe to up level it, uh, what we're trying to do is we're just really trying to focus on how can we optimize for growth. And there are many ways to achieve growth. You can grow top line users that then subsequently will turn into conversion to premium subscribers that then subsequently will turn into revenue or you can increase ARPU uh, on uh, a lower set of base and you can still achieve that top line growth. So we have many tools at our disposal as we're thinking about how to increase growth and the industry realizes that and our label partners realizes that as well. So that's the constant dialogue uh, that we're in. But yeah, we would like to uh, raise prices in 2023, but it's really a discussion with our partners. Okay, another question from Doug Ameth on Marketplace. How should we think about the outlook for Marketplace growth this year following approximately 40% growth in 2022? 
Yeah, I think we're still very optimistic about Marketplace. Um, it had a really strong Q1. Um, it continues to be um, a driving force for engagement with the creator community. They're, they're loving the tools and services. So um, we haven't given a target out for uh, 2023, um, but Q1 was very strong and we're, we're optimistic that we'll continue to sort of um, be able to advance all the offerings we have in Marketplace. Okay, next question from Deepak on podcasting. Can you provide some recent co uh, some color on recent engagement trends on the podcast side? Revenue growth is healthy, even as you optimize the content portfolio. We're curious on the recent engagement trends within podcasts. Yeah, so um, overall, um, Q1 has been a phenomenal quarter when it comes to engagement. Um, so engagement is up uh, more than predicted uh, on pretty much every front. So retention is higher. Uh, the DAU over MAU is higher uh, than before, and the actual engagement is higher. And that's a, that's a, across music, but it, it's certainly true on podcasting as well. And we've seen a healthy trend sort of up to the right on podcasting for now many, many, many quarters. Uh, and we're seeing how both podcast and music is acting in great symbiosis together to drive uh, an overall healthier um um, user funnel um, on Spotify so I feel really good about uh, the mix and obviously that's a testament to the great catalog and, and content portfolio we have uh, on both music and, and podcast yeah I would just add um, the one other metric listening hours per MAU was, was really strong in the quarter uh, both across across music and podcasting um, so to Daniel's point on the engagement side we're seeing a number of our engagement metrics um, really uptick in Q1 Okay, another question from Doug Ameth on uh, users. Given the first quarter upside and the first half outlook, how do you think about overall net ads and growth for MAUs and premium subscribers in 2023 relative to the 83 million and 25 million added respectively in 2022? Yeah, we don't obviously give full year guidance anymore, um, but um, implied in the question is sort of where we already are. So if you think about um, between Q1 and our, and our outlook for Q2, or you know, just over 40 million um, net additions on the MAU side, so we'd be halfway to last year through half of this year, uh, and the same thing on the sub side. So about you know, if we hit our guidance for Q2, that's about 12 million sub additions. Um, so again, about halfway to to next year. So nothing really other to, other to add other than we feel really good about the the trends and the trajectory we've seen on both the user side and the sub side for the for Q1 and, and our expectations for Q2. Okay, next question is from Deepak on AI. Daniel, can you discuss your thoughts on what opportunities and risks uh, there are from generative AI, specifically on music creation? Um, do you think these developments have potential to materially shift economics towards distribution platforms like Spotify over time? Yeah, well, um, so uh, again, to caution everyone, this is very early days and it's an incredibly fast developing space. Uh, as I mentioned before, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in technology, how fast innovation and progress is happening and all, all the really uh, both cool and scary things that people are doing with AI at the moment. Um, but, I, but I think it's important, I, I guess, on the risk side uh, would be uh, not just for Spotify, but I think for our the entire creative ecosystem is obviously, um, you know, uh, the question around copyrights and who owns what copyrights and what the fair way would be to attribute value 
when you're doing things in name and likeness uh, situations or inspired by a certain artist, etc. I think the whole industry is is trying to figure that out and trying to figure out training. Um, and um, th- that I would definitely put that on the risk account because there's a lot of uncertainty, I think, for the entire ecosystem. Um, but on the positive side, to flip on that for a moment, because I don't think that's been as highlighted as part of the story. Um, one, I think um, this could be potentially huge for uh, creativity on the positive side. Uh, I go in uh, and talk a little bit more in detail about this on our For the Record podcasts. Uh, so that's a little bit of a plug for for you guys to listen to that if you're interested uh, in understanding more. But but the short of it would be if you really think about it, um, with that now these conversational interfaces, it will allow people um, that perhaps don't know anything about how to play a music or even know these complex softwares music production software tools to now create uh, just using their their voice instruct the AI to uh, make something to sound a little bit more upbeat make something sound a little bit uh, more like uh, add some congas into the mix when you're creating a drum pattern or something like it um, and and that has the chance I think to meaningfully augment that creative journey that many artists do um, and you could even imagine someone just humming something and then the AI helping out by creating a backdrop uh, that you could then can edit and alter into your existing DAW, uh, which is the music uh, sort of uh, software environment that many producers and music creators are, are doing. And that should lead to more music. Uh, and uh, that more music, uh, obviously, we think is great culturally, uh, but it also benefits Spotify because the more creators we have on our service, uh, uh, the better it is and the more opportunity we have to growing the engagement and growing the revenue. Um, so that that would be on the upside, uh, which a lot of people aren't talking about. And then, of course, there's entirely new potential products that perhaps can happen where you could have users creating their own music and perhaps Spotify could be a conduit of that. But I think it's way too early to speculate on those types of things at present moment. Okay. Another question from Rich Greenfield. At the Investor Day last year, you talked about introducing three new verticals looking beyond music, podcasts, and audiobooks. When should we expect to hear more? Yeah, so um, obviously I, I don't have anything to announce uh, at this moment, uh, but in the pipeline there's two. Uh, that's progressing very nicely uh, out of the three. Um, and then there's a few candidates of, of the third that's a little in a little bit of an earlier stage uh, than that. So, um, uh, you know, again, this is just me kind of more hinting at that uh, we have things in the work. Uh, I mentioned this prior in my opening remarks. Many of these things that we are working on is not the product of something that we started three months ago or six months ago, but we have projects that's uh, been uh, you know uh, being worked at at Spotify by teams for sometimes two three um, even four years uh, before we are ready to announce them for the world so uh, we have a very good sense what those are those three uh, and two of them are right now progressing very nicely We're not ready yet to announce them um, so we'll see when they're ready for prime time Okay, question coming from Benjamin Black on advertising. Could you give us an update on the advertising backdrop? How have ad sales trended so far in April? Shouldn't you benefit from easing year-on-year comparisons as the year progresses? 
Um, so in the second part of the question, yes, the comps do get easier throughout the year, which will, which will definitely benefit us. Um, and in terms of April, we feel like we had some momentum uh, coming out of March and April, so that's positive. Um, that being said, I think we felt um, that there was some momentum in Q1 and ended up being pretty choppy as well. So I think we're, we're optimistic, but also cautious, maybe cautiously optimistic would be the right word, because um, I think we feel like there's some momentum there. I think we feel good um, about where we're positioned on an advertising standpoint. But just given the macro uncertainty, I think we're, we'll you know, caveat it as cautiously optimistic. Okay, another question from Doug Ameth on uh, podcasting. Can we get an updated view on timing for podcasting profitability, and when should we expect to see a meaningful inflection in ad-supported gross margins? Um, yeah, so no change to what we said. Look, we think we continue to see uh, the loss, uh, the, the podcasting loss uh, continue to get better throughout the year. Um, and the, the targets we gave at the Investor Day with respect to podcasting break-even and then profitability have not changed. So uh, we still feel good about that. Um, and then the ad-supported gross margins, I mean, there's really two factors that are impacting that, which we've talked about. Podcasting is a big part of that. So as the podcasting um, loss turns to break-even and, and then profitability, that will obviously help the, the ad-supported gross margins a lot. And then we do have some markets and regions where our, um, our ads gross margins are quite where they are in some of our more uh, established and developed advertising markets. And so um, we're still working on getting some of those markets um, kind of at parity with our more developed uh, um, uh, ad markets. So it's a combination of the two, um, but obviously the, the, tra the uh, transition from, from the podcasting business from being a, a drag to uh, a break even in profitability will be a big help. All right, we've got time for a couple more questions, and uh, looks like Doug Ameth has a follow-up on uh, operating expenses. You had 36% growth year-on-year -year in OPEX in the first quarter, with roughly half of that driven by social charge movements and severance. How should we expect that to improve throughout 2023, and what are the key areas of leverage? Um, yeah, it's a great question, and so um, and thanks for bringing it up. Of the 36% growth, about a third of that was social charges, and then another 600 basis points or so from severance. So um, to your point, yes, it was about a, a big chunk uh, of the OPEX um, expense growth came from that. Um, I think you'll see a couple of things. One, if you look at our headcount from a year-over-year -year basis, we're still up um, as we go throughout the year, uh, assuming no changes to headcount um, is in guidance. I'm just using this as sort of, a, of an illustrative example. Um, assuming no changes in headcount, those comps just get easier throughout the year as we start to uh, lap the reduction we had um, a few months ago. And again, you know, Q1 the year over year is pretty tough and it gets easier. So that'll help on the on the leverage side. Um, and then you saw in Q1, we definitely had some leverage on the marketing side where we spent a little bit less than expected and we're still able to grow um, users and subs uh, at pretty phenomenally. And as Daniel said, we're not reading in reading into that too much after one quarter, but it's obviously something we're monitoring to see uh, how that goes for the rest of the year. Okay, and we've got a question from Jed Kelly. We're seeing the stock price benefit from strong MAU growth and improving gross margins. If this continues, does this place Spotify in a favorable position to negotiate a quote-unquote win-win outcome with the labels on any incremental price increases? Yeah, um, I, I don't know that I uh, think the stock price uh, impacts uh, our negotiations with our content partners. So I, I don't think that has any real uh, impact. Um, uh, as I tried to describe before, I'm, um, usually when we're negotiating outcomes, it's very rare that it's a single 
issue uh, we are negotiating with them. It's usually it's a package of different things uh, that we tend to agree on. Uh, so you, one can almost think of them as bilateral treaties. Uh, so you kind of have to negotiate them for a while. And there's a lot of puts and calls into those things. So uh, it's a whole sort of set of discussions. Um, and there's a number of different variables that go into them. And again, uh, I think we're ready to raise prices. I think we have the ability to do that. But it really comes down to those negotiations. All right, and our last question today is gonna to come from Maria Rips on advertising. Could you discuss and or rank order what you consider to be the biggest drivers of advertising in 2023? How much of the growth will be a function of an improving macro backdrop, increased advertiser engagement with the emerging formats, greater inventory availability given recent investments or anything else? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot in that question. Um, Look, I think there's a there's a lot to our advertising growth, and so let's kind of unpack it. So some of it has been, if we talked about, we've invested in um, regionally and growing some of our um, uh, sales capabilities in in Europe and rest of world. Um, we saw some of the benefit of that in in Q1, um, and there's sort of an expense uh, ahead of the the benefit there. And I think we talked about that throughout 2022. So that's one, getting some more leverage on some of the investments we made last year, just on the people side. Two would be, as we keep talking about, we're really going to lead with technology innovation here, um, better measurement, better attribution, uh, better targeting. And those are improvements that we expect to see throughout 2023 and beyond. Um, so there'll be some, some benefits from that as well. And then, you know, as you said, the macro is the big wild card. And so um, it's hard to predict it. Uh, we think that we continue to build out a platform that will be um, really strong and will benefit when the macro um, gets better and something that can still outperform even when the macro you know, remains uncertain. All right. Thanks, Maria. And that concludes our Q&A session for today. And now I'm going to turn it back over to Daniel for some closing remarks. All right. Well, thanks, Brian. Um, in closing, uh, this was a phenomenal quarter with significant outperformance, and I continue to feel really good about what we're accomplishing. We closed out 2022 on a high note, and this quarter continued that momentum. But more importantly, we are consistently seeing that our long-term approach to innovation is working. Um, and as we move forward with an increased focus on efficiency, we're even better positioned to translate these efforts into a better business performance. So thank you again for joining us. And as usual, feel free to check out our For the Record podcast dropping later today. Okay, and that concludes today's call. A replay will be available on our website and also on the Spotify app under Spotify Earnings Call Replays. Thanks everyone for joining. For more information, check out investors.spotify.com.